This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Thursday, March 16th, 2023 edition, and a lot is happening in financial markets. Uh, but most importantly, today, we are welcoming back Luke Guerrero uh, to the show. Uh, we had him on uh, earlier this week, and we brought him back. You know, we liked what he had to say. So, uh, welcome back, Luke. Thanks, Justin. Good to be here. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, this is uh, interesting times, and uh, Luke's going to uh, certainly bring a lot of, uh, I think, smart perspective uh, to what we talk about each and every day, which is helping you, our, our listener base, make good, sound investment decisions and just money decisions in general. And a lot of changing market dynamics. Uh, in the geopolitical realm, the economic realm, and that's what we're here to help you keep up on uh, so that you can make smart, decision, smart decisions and make adjustments in your portfolio. Now, I'm Justin Klein, and I'm here today on the radio show and podcast to help you make the most of your capital, your hard-earned capital. So I look forward to this hour with you answering your finance and investment questions and, of course, giving you our unbiased, our, in this case, right, uh, unbiased answers, just like we do every single day. Now, one thing we all have noticed by now is the the shifting dynamics in the market, and you need to learn how the various variables affect your different asset classes that you either own or are looking at. Try to weed out the emotions of fear and greed. It's very dominant in the way we are as human beings. We're emotional beings, and our job is to help you keep your eye on the ball on the facts uh, at hand so that you can make good decisions and be successful at investing. So of course, we're taking your finance and investment questions. Our anytime line is 888 chart You can call 24 hours a day, seven days a week, leave a message and we'll answer it on a future show. Or if you're listening right now live during our four to five Pacific time hour, you can call and talk to us directly. Now we've got a lot of material to cover for you today. What is in regards to the banking crisis and how that relates to oil's recent fall and whether that is a sustainable drop or more of a buying opportunity. So we're going to look at that. Also, some interesting news in regards to First Republic Bank and how other banks are, are helping, helping them out. And in conjunction with that, what the Fed balance sheet looked like over the past week, what type of... What type of lending did they have to do to kind of uh, paper over some of the, the cracks in, in, in the, the banking system that started to creep up late last week? So we're going to look at uh, that. Also, some economic news on the retail front, as well as uh, some, some uh, inflation data that will certainly shed some light on where the economy is, maybe not today, but last month in the month of February. So those are the things that are on the docket for us today, as well as your voice bank question, one on energy and commodities and the other on Sterling Infrastructure, STRL. And I have an iTunes review question to answer as well. I know Luke's prepared for that one. 
Now, I've got this all planned for this episode of Invest Talk, but most importantly, your live calls now at 888 chart. Now, let's take a look at the market today, and it was a pretty decent up day, right, Luke? Yeah, pretty decent. Yeah, we had the broad market up about one and three quarters percent, really leaning on the growth side. The growth side definitely did better than the value side. Obviously, the, the volatility within banks certainly weighing on the value side, but lower bond yields in general over the past few uh, few trading days uh, certainly is going to give some life to uh, those growth names that have been hurting in the back on the back of uh, tighter monetary policy. Yeah, absolutely. I think shoring up the banking system as well with the, the actions that the federal government and, and other banks on Wall Street have done has really helped to steer a lot of those growth names away from a situation where people were concerned whether or not they'd be able to meet payrolls and continue operations. Yeah, that certainly helps. And you know, if you're pulling money out of banks, it's going to go somewhere, right? It's either going to go to cash or it's going to go into some other part of the market. And you know, so far this year, the, the growthier side, the tech side, has has been doing pretty well, so it's not a, sh a shock to see uh, money flowing there. And and there, unless you're banking with Silicon Valley Bank Corp, most of them are uh, outside the purview of of that problem. So uh, I think that's one of the all other reasons why uh, that part of the market's doing well. Now that was the market today. We'll see. We still have the Fed meeting coming up in uh, less than a week now. About uh, eighty percent odds of a twenty five basis point hike. But yesterday was fifty fifty. So. You know, uh, tomorrow the winds could shift another way, right? Absolutely. Well, let's go to our first live call and go talk to Sid. He's in North Carolina looking at CVS Pharmaceuticals. Hi, Justin. Good evening. Uh, thank you for taking your time to pick up my call. And uh, yeah, it's been, uh, you, know, you just mentioned, you know, kind of a volatile week. But uh, thank you to you and Steve for keeping us aligned and people like us, you know. Very, very thankful to you for what you do for. Thank you. Yeah, CVS uh, was in my radar for a long, long time. Uh, this is my observation just that it's been now lower than 52 weeks. So do you think from the long-term perspective, this is a good, first of all, uh, company? And uh, if yes, then what could be the entry point? Uh, thank you again. No problem. Now, CVS is certainly uh, down from its recent highs. And uh, we like this name. We own it for uh, clients. And it's at some major support right here around $75 per share. So from a technical perspective, it's definitely at, at a good buy point. But the question is, 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 the, is the value there? Obviously, we like it. So uh, Luke, why, why do you think this is a good business? Yeah, I think CVS is one of those names that's been, along, been around for a very long time. I think that CVS is convenient in that a lot of its primary uh, business of operations isn't really something that can be overtaken at scale by an internet company. I know there's Mark Cuban is trying to kind of take apart the pharmaceutical industry himself, but you know that's kind of kind of one of the reasons why I think CVS is one of those names that's that's good to hold and one of those names that we we hold. Yeah, and and like you said, there's if if you need some sort of drugstore, you need Advil, you need Tylenol, CVS is, and you probably need that now, right? You have a headache or something. Absolutely. You need that right now. You go to CVS, you go pick that up. And so they have a certain part of their business that is uh, pretty bulletproof, uh, but they've been, they've been spreading their wings. They changed their name to CVS Health and, and uh, acquiring uh, different healthcare type companies like Oak Street. And I think that's weighed on 
uh, the weight on the stock a little bit because it does create a little bit more uncertainty. Did they pay too much for uh, their recent acquisitions? Will this shift to a uh, more, more healthcare provider uh, really pay off? And I think that's what's, what's been weighing on the stock. So um, overall, uh, I think uh, long-term, it's a, it's, a, it's a good price, good value, and a good, most importantly, a good business. And uh, that, uh, that's why we like it here at 75. Thanks for the call, Sid. Now, you probably noticed that Steve and I are happy about reaching 50 million podcast downloads. And to celebrate, we are giving away 50 free subscriptions at the KPP Premium Newsletter. That's our 50 for 50 million thank you to you for helping us exceed that number. And we have given away 30 of the 50 so far. We gave away the, the third batch of 10 uh, today. I know our marketing director sent that out. and uh, But that means that you still have two more weeks to potentially win. All you have to do is go follow Invest Talk on our social media platforms like Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Like and tag three friends on our 50 for 50 million posts and you could win a free year subscription to our premium newsletter. So follow Invest Talk and tell your friends, and our phone lines are open for you at 888 chart Get ready for a new KPP Financial Wealth Webinar, Value Investing, Positioning Your Portfolio for Profitability, Relative Price, and Dividend Payments. The Wealth Webinar will be a crash course on how to structure your value portfolios, providing real examples with assessment tools that KPP Financial uses every day to grow clients' wealth. The webinar will be anchored by KPP Financial CEO and InvestTalk host, Justin Klein, and by KPP Financial Portfolio Manager, Luke Guerrero. Mark your calendar for Wednesday, March 22nd from 2 to 3 p.m. Pacific Time. You are invited to a new KPP Financial Wealth Webinar. Be sure to tell your friends and family members it's free and you can register now at investtalk.com. Everybody wants a secure financial future, but getting there takes strategy, discipline, and the right information. That means you'll have finance and investment questions. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Hey, Stephen Justin, this is Chris calling from San Diego. I just wanted to get your guys' thoughts on the recent drop in energy and commodity prices. I know you guys talk a lot about commodities being in a long-term upcycle, but with the Fed now doing QE again to bail out these banks and secure these deposits, you know, the Fed pivot is all but certain at this point, but how do you think this is going to impact the outlook for energy and commodities as a whole over the next, let's call it two years? Thank you so much. Well, if you're looking out two years, I think it's, it's certainly bullish because the, the, the recent drop, which we'll get to in a minute, has a lot to do with uh, the expectation of uh, the economy weakening further. But uh, the broad trend is still in an uptrend, uh, and the, uh, the the weaker dollar is going to be more of a tailwind. Um, so the fact that the Fed has pivoted, uh, or likely to pivot here or very soon, is probably a bullish inflection for the economy and uh, energy demand in general. The fact that we've been through this broad economic slowdown over the past year plus, and you know, energy oil prices have stayed 
you know, beside before yesterday, you know, kind of in the 70 plus range, I think is a testament to in general, tighter supply uh, across the region or across the, the world in general, uh, because of uh, lack of investment, because of the war, et cetera. So uh, I, I think this is still bullish for uh, the space, especially the fact that we haven't really broken down technically. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think you have to to think about the different time horizons under which you're operating. And in the short term, you've seen a, a, a big fall in prices as a result of a lot of economic uncertainty, short and medium term. But then you look further out and you see that people are now pricing in a rate cut. You see a lot of people who are no longer talking about a deep recession that are talking about a mild, if not even no recession at all. So I think the long long term prospects are still good, even if the short term is a little choppy. Yeah, exactly. And commodity industry in general is always very volatile, right? And, and that's, that's one thing that most people don't understand is that just because you might be in a longer term uptrend in, in any sector, doesn't mean that the volatility of that sector changes, you know, very much, Correct. right? You still have much higher volatility in, in energy stocks than you will have in utilities, even though the longer term prospects for the energy space are probably much better than utilities. Absolutely. Right. So uh, you, you have to be prepared for that. And some people are okay with that. Some people are okay with that level of volatility and others are not. You have to be okay if you're going to play in that arena of commodities in general. They are volatile. But as long as you know, you're know you in that uh, broader secular uptrend, which I think we are in, uh, you, you over time, two plus year time horizon, you're likely to do fairly well. And these would be more buying opportunities than times to you know, jump ship. Now, my focus points uh, to pivot nicely is what analysts are saying about the recent tumble in oil prices. And uh, WTI futures fell more than 5%, uh, settling at about 67 and change yesterday. They were up a bit today, but that was the lowest level since December of, of, of 2021, excuse me. And this is really all about, there's a couple things that are driving this. One is talk about the macro picture, uh, but also our balance sheets unwinding, owning different types of futures contracts on oil, having to sell those to plug holes and balance sheets and things like that. So I think that's certainly uh, part of it. Uh, but many of these energy names, most of them have uh, strong cash positions after the last couple of years. They pay down debt. They're not throwing money at every project just for growth in, uh, in output. They're really focusing on, on shareholder uh, returns, dividends, and buybacks. And I think that's uh, de definitely a, a boost to the overall industry longer term. Uh, but the reason that this is going to weigh on the economy or is thought to weigh on the economy is banks with less than $250 billion in assets count for roughly 50% of U.S. commercial and industrial lending, 60% of residential real estate lending, 80% of commercial real estate lending, and 45% of consumer lending. So although they're small, they do lend out to the real economy in a big way. Yeah, and this is something that you and I talked about is is something that you can't forget when we talk about what would happen if you had widespread contagion within the regional banking system. And that is the source of a lot of the loans for small businesses and the source of a lot of the loans that, that you were just talking about, Justin, are these regional lenders, which is why they're so important to the system as a whole. Yeah, and that's the, the worry that the market has right now. But uh, you know, those tightening lending standards, uh, that's why the inverse yield curve, it kind of creates uh, a type of a recession because it's less incentive for banks to lend. And then when you have 
banks kind of tightening up their their capital in case of some sort of bank run they're going to lend out a lot less and that's really what this is all about but i think once this is kind of smoothed over we'll get back to uh, a normally functioning banking system and demand for oil and energy will continue to go up now we're heading into a break so give me a call now at 888-99-CHART Justin Klein is here and ready to take your calls live. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Hey, Stephen Justin. It's Art from Tucson. I'm looking at a uh, small cap construction and engineering company called Sterling Infrastructure, Inc. S-T-R-L is the ticker. And it's at, I believe, an all-time high right now, uh, but wondering what you think about the um, company and the stock, and what a good buy-in point would be on a on a pullback. And I'll listen on the podcast. Thanks for all you guys do. Appreciate it. Bye. All right, looking at Sterling Infrastructure, fairly small company, $1.1 billion market cap, but it's a construction company that special, specializes in heavy civil infrastructure, construction, and infrastructure rehabilitation, as well as residential construction projects. The majority of its revenue is generated from e-infrastructure solutions so clearly with maybe this is a boost from the inflation reduction act uh, i'd really have to dig into the details here but uh, their business has certainly uh, improved earnings supposed to be up 11 percent this year 16 percent next year to four dollars per share and it's trading under 40 bucks right now even after this recent move from the low 20s to the high 30s uh so it's, it's a small cap name what do you think of it, Luke? Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the relative valuations here, and I'm seeing a price to earnings that is below the average of its peers, meaning that it it's not overvalued relative to how much it's earning. I'm looking at their margins. I'm seeing their EBITDA margin is is better than their peers as well. It seems they've certainly improved as a company. I don't think they're uh, overly valued relative to what they're actually making, um, and I think it can be in a position to to do well if it continues this along this path. Yeah, and and. What I would try to do is look at what's changed about the business since 2018. Is it just uh, more government spending on e-infrastructure, right? Uh, uh, because of maybe that's uh, electric vehicles, uh, solar panels, et cetera. What is really driving that e-solutions part of the business? Because before 2018, their, their profitability was pretty weak. But it's been pretty good. And I like that it's been good before the pandemic. This isn't just a product of the pandemic. 2020 has started making a bunch of money. It started doing that in 2018 and really turned their business around. So as long as the, that change is sustainable, which so far it looks like it has five years, that's a pretty good track record. It's not a one or two year flash in the pan. Uh, I, I like that. Modest debt levels. Uh, the technicals certainly are, are a little overbought, but uh, this is a name that if it can continue with its recent growth, uh, I think is still relatively undervalued. So uh, I'm going to give we're going to give Sterling Infrastructure a thumbs now let's touch a bit on the news today, and uh, there were two major pieces of of news when it came to the banking industry. Uh, around 11 a.m., in fact, uh, Luke is the one that told me about it and, and brought my attention to it. But there was a report that 30 billion dollars in deposits from a group of banks was going towards keeping First Republic Bank solvent, and this was interesting because this isn't the government propping up First Republic Bank; it's a group of some of the large banks. Which banks were they, Luke? Uh, J.P. Morgan, Citibank, and Bank of America were the three primary large banks. 
And why do you think they did this? Obviously, it helps not have another kind of full-scale bailout or uh, some sort of emergency uh, propping up of that institution by government. Uh, that, that certainly is, is helpful, I, I think, uh, for sentiment. But why do you think the large banks did it? Well, first and foremost, it, it certainly is in their interest, right? All these banks are the ones that contribute to the FDIC. They're the ones that have fees assessed to them. So if any bank fails, all banks really pay the cost. That's, that's how insurance works. But I think secondly, what they don't want more than anything is people to have a wavering faith on the, in the financial system. Uh, we saw what happened to uh, bank stocks during 2008. Certainly, this is not the same issue. That was a toxic asset issue. This is a liquidity issue. But I think it's overall in their interest, not just from a bottom line dollars perspective, to make sure that these regional banks aren't failing. Yeah, that's that's certainly true. And obviously, the Fed has a an incentive as well. And you can see there was a report on the Fed's balance sheet, which peaked out just shy of $9 trillion early last year. And as they've done QT, quantitative tightening, they've let assets roll off their balance sheet. They've sold some. And it had fallen to about $8.34 trillion last month. So about a $600-plus billion drop in the balance sheet over, call it, the last year or so. And, but as of last week, you saw the Fed added nearly $300 billion, $297 billion in new lending to help or to assist banks in general. Uh, so what do you think that says, Luke, uh, about the, the, the system, right? The, the banks that needed this capital. And do you think this is the death knell of QT? Well, you know, I think after every crisis, or in this case, near crisis, you, you learn something. After 2008, we learned that there were certain banks out there that were too big to fail. The government came in. They did more than they did for Silicon Valley Bank, and they, they propped them up, and they bought the toxic assets. But I think what we learned here is that there are also these large regional banks that don't qualify as too big to fail, but do qualify as too big to ignore, because not stress testing them can create systematic problems and can shake confidence in the system as a whole. Yeah, and, and that's, I think, the big issue here is uh, with 2018, they rolled back a lot of these uh, the regulation on banks, and they, they raised the cap on the ones that needed to be stress-tested uh, from $50 billion to $250 billion, and that incentivized a lot of these kind of middle-sized bank to, banks to not only gobble up those smaller ones, uh, uh, but to really grow their asset base up to that $250 uh, billion mark, and Silicon Valley Bank was one of them. And that means, like you said, that they've become too big to ignore, but apparently they're too big to regulate, according to Congress. Yeah, I guess we'll find out what they decide to do. Yeah, they're, they're definitely going to make some changes and maybe roll back some of those changes uh, under uh, the 2008 uh, uh, move. So here's a reminder for all investors. There are only six days left to register for the Invest Talk Wealth webinar, Value Investing, Positioning Your Portfolio on Profitability, Relative Price, and Dividend Payments. So sign up at investtalk.com. We're heading to a break, so give me a call now at 888-99-CHART. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons 
offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in, patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. So as long as your questions involve the stock market or general investment topics and definitions, we set no limits. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Justin and I are ready. Are you? Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888-99-CHART. Hey, guys. This is Eric from San Diego. Just had a quick question on VF Corp, ticker symbol VFC. I just got notification that it went down below the trading point that I had set for it. I just wanted to get your guys' thoughts and opinions on whether you thought this would be something for kind of a longer-term buy, um, three to five years. But, uh, yeah, looking forward to your answer on the question. Appreciate everything you guys do. All right, bye. All right, this is VF Corp, and this is the maker of a lot of very popular, well-known apparel brands, Vans, North Face, Timberland, Supreme, Dickies, many who have a long track record of consistent uh, consistent demand and uh, a loyal following. Uh, but as of late, you know, it looks like a lot of people bought a bunch of this during the pandemic. Their earnings uh, reflect that. Uh, they made two dollars and sixty eight cents in twenty twenty. That's up from two fifty four in twenty nineteen. But that was still down from a peak of around three dollars and forty one cents in twenty eighteen. So they were struggling a little bit before the pandemic, and that's only continued in spades over the past uh, year year or so. Earnings this year is supposed to be down thirty five percent from last year, and and supposed to be flat uh, the following year. But we're at a fifty two week low, trading at twenty one dollars and change. They did recently cut their dividend, so it might look like uh, they're paying an 8% dividend. No, going forward, it's going to be about a 5% dividend, but they do have a lot of debt on their balance sheet, and I think that's the worry here with free cash flow now at negative $1 billion over the last year. Uh, do you think that's uh, more of a short-term issue, Luke, or do you think this is uh, a lot of these brands being impaired and and uh, no longer really viable in the market space. Yeah, I think it's it's probably mostly the latter. Uh, I'm looking at net margin here for the past year, and even though it's supposed to increase in the next 12, uh, next 12 months based on estimates, it's still not looking great relative to its peers. 
you know, if you're looking at this kind of company with with this kind of chart, I think the the number one thing to think about is you never want to catch a falling knife. Yeah. And, and even if this is a good long term investment, it's certainly not a good one to enter into right now. Exactly. Yeah. It, 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 this could be the bottom, right? But there's not a whole lot on the chart that's telling me it is. Uh, and I would be waiting for a. a, a, a for this to move above the 100-day moving average, which right now is up around $28 and change, and because that's it stayed below that 100-day moving average ever since this downturn started, pretty much, and that was back in uh, middle of 2020. So I I would definitely hold what I'd be looking for. Hold off, excuse me. What I would be looking for here is a real spike in volume. Now you got a one-day spike back on February 28th. Uh, but the the market reversed that one as well. That was up when it was up around $25 and change. Now it's at 21 and change. So until this gets a spike, meaning there's some sort of capitulatory volume, then I wouldn't touch it. And what really makes me hold off is that debt level, right, Luke? Anything, yeah, a retailer that's, that's, that's bleeding cash and that has, let's see, they have roughly uh, about $6 billion in net debt on its balance sheet. On an eight billion dollar market cap, negative billion dollar is in free cash flow the last twelve months. Negative seven hundred sixty six million of uh, operating cash flow over the last uh, twelve months. That's a worrying sign for me. Yeah, for me too. If you're a company that's struggling to grow your profits and you also have to service a lot of debt, there's not a lot of wiggle room to start turning it around there. Yeah, exactly, and that's why they cut their dividend. Exactly. Right. They rather uh, stem the tide of uh, of money flying out the door. Uh, shore up their balance sheet. And this is another example why, why uh, dividends are not sacrosanct. They can be cut at any time. Now let's keep things moving and play two questions in a row. This one came in earlier from a listener in Seattle on 888 chart Hey, Steve or Justin, this is uh, Craig outside Seattle. Um, I'm looking to get back in. I've had varying degrees of success over the last six or eight months uh, just looking at you know, uh, strong buys on Zacks and looking on Fidelity and their technical analysis, but getting into some low cost energy speculations, you know, some have shot up 40%, some have gone down when they missed earnings and, and it was a miss, but overall I'm pretty far ahead. Cleared out all those positions and now looking at potentially moving back in. And I want to know your thoughts on EGY versus NGL, you know, both four A's across the board with Zacks all green with fidelity bullish but curious your thoughts and analysis thanks so much bye-bye first look i want to get your opinion on uh fidelity people using those fidelity ratings zach's ratings how much value do you think they really have you know personally when we talk about at my old job at dimensional we would talk about market efficiency right and the thing we would say is when you are trying to figure out the number of jelly beans in a jar each individual person's probably going to be wrong, mm -hmm. but the aggregate expectation of all those people is, is pretty spot on. And I think that's a good way to look at analysts and rating systems is don't look at individual ones. You can, you can use them as another source of information to help you know, reinforce what the evidence is showing you as well, but I, I wouldn't personally rely on those things. Yeah, definitely. And, and two is, is just is, is not enough. Uh, you probably want Absolutely. to look at you know, a dozen plus uh, on a particular name. Now, looking at uh, Valco Energy, EGY, this is an independent energy company here in the United States, relatively small if you're looking at uh, from a market cap perspective. 
it's only sitting at about 457 million so very much on the small cap but it's it's earning pretty good money so let's make a dollar 36 this year a dollar 77 next year pays a 3.8 percent dividend uh what's their debt level look does it is, is it high debt actually no it looks like they have no. net they have no long-term debt yeah yeah that's pretty nice cash from operations is, is pretty good uh that looks like good performance in, in my mind obviously a small cap name so going to be volatile uh, but the numbers here, the what I'm looking at, uh, looks pretty good, right? Yeah, no, I know. I definitely agree with that for EGY. Yeah, and then the other one was the NGL. NGL, yeah. Yeah, and this is one that has a history of really losing money. They, lost, they were money losing money pre-pandemic. They were losing money uh, post-pandemic. And they're expected to finally make money this year. They made 19 cents a share last quarter for the first time in many, many years. And what do they do, Luke? Looks like oh they they're a limited partnership so understand that any dividend you're going to get is going to be taxed at uh, your ordinary income tax rate. Let's see crude oil logistics, water solutions, liquid logistics, crude oil storage terminals. Interesting. So it's it's more energy adjacent as opposed to in the energy uh, business. Um, yeah, I'm looking at a revenue breakdown here, and it looks like a third each pretty much comes from pipeline and energy storage, crude oil, liquid pipeline storage, and then more refined petroleum, liquid pipeline storage. Yeah, I, my my issue here is just the history uh, of the business. It's been a low earnings uh, business. Its average return on equity over the last five years is negative 9%. Its median return on equity over that time is negative 6%. So this recent bump up to 5% return on equity is more of an anomaly than something that I would really buy into. So I'd pass on this one. If I'm picking one or the other, absolutely I'm picking EGY over NGL. 100% agree. Definitely. Now, Steve and I have been telling you for a while that we are in a new market environment. These cycles are a natural part of almost everything in life. And especially in markets, you have short-term cyclical changes, long-term secular cycles you have bull and bear markets and everything in between so serious investors need to adjust their thinking their strategies to fit these current times so the question for you is are you ready are you on the path to that ultimate goal which is financial freedom which looks a little different for everybody but the principles are generally the same no matter where you start or where you're going so if you need help understanding whether you are on the right path don't hesitate to reach out to myself or Steve at our company, KPP Financial, where we practice parallel investing, which means you invest right alongside our clients, and we practice unbiased guidance both on and off air, and we operate the same philosophy, which is independent thinking and shared success. So take advantage of our free portfolio review assessment. Just head over to investtalk.com, send us a message, and we will set up a time for us to talk via phone or go to a meeting. The sooner you reach out, the sooner we can help get your portfolio optimized. Now hang on, more calls coming up. Mark your calendar for Wednesday, March 22nd from 2 to 3 p.m. Pacific time. You are invited to a new KPP Financial Wealth Webinar, Value Investing, Positioning Your Portfolio for Profitability, Relative Price, and Dividend Payments. Be sure to tell your friends and family members about the new KPP Financial Wealth Webinar. It's free, and you can register now at investtalk.com. Hi, Stephen, Justin. Long-time listener here. Love the show. Thank you guys for everything. Hey, I've been listening to the show, and um, 
I know that international stocks have been doing quite well this year, better than the United States. And I've been looking at some ETFs to possibly get into and help me diversify across the world. And I was wondering what your thoughts were on um, tickers VT and VXUS. They both seem to be quality funds doing about the same. And I was wondering um, if you guys felt one of them was a better one than the other one. I can't really tell a difference, and I didn't know if there would be a preference, really. Thank you for your thoughts. Look forward to hearing them on the show. Have a good day. All right, looking at VT, which is the Vanguard Total World Stock ETF, and then VXUS, which is the Vanguard Total International Stock ETF. And if you're looking for international exposure, this is an easy answer, and that would be the VXUS. Because remember, anything that's titled World, that is going to include the U.S. as well. So this one has about 57% U.S. stocks, 41% non-U.S. stocks, and a little bit in cash. So you're not really getting... You're not really getting that uh, pure international exposure uh, there. But if you're looking at VXUS, that's pretty much entirely non-US stocks. Uh, so it, it, it's, it's a pretty an- easy answer for me. What do you think of VXUS as a, as a fund, Luke? Yeah, I think it's a good fund. I think it's, it's primarily going to be allocated towards large caps. There was about 63%, I believed, in, in large cap securities. You know, Vanguard's a, a good manager. They're, they're one of the largest in the business. And, and the thing that is really indicative of a Vanguard fund, which is something you should always be looking for if you're investing in these funds, is expense ratio. So the expense ratio for both comes in at seven basis points. But the, I know there's total cost to that besides just the expense ratio that's uh, often not looked at. That is true. If you if you think about your your holding period cost, right? That's going to be your expense ratio. That's going to be whatever the implicit cost of trading. So you want to look at funds turnover. That's going to impact that. And the other one is going to be your tax hit, which is going to be based upon the uh, distribution yield of that fund. So this is coming in at about two point one four percent for the last year. Um, now keep in mind that can vary year to year, but the higher the long term distribution yield you're going to get from a fund, the more expensive it's going to be to hold it over a time period. Got it. So uh, you're saying that these ETFs, which I know you ran an ETF over at Dimensional, uh, there are other costs besides just that that expense ratio, correct? Absolutely. We call the expense ratio explicit costs and everything else implicit costs. Yeah. Yeah. So something uh, definitely to keep an eye on. But if you're looking for international exposure, VXUS is the name for you if you're deciding between those two. Now, when people take the time to leave an Talk podcast review on iTunes, I'd like to thank them for their courtesy by getting to their questions quickly. Nick from Brooklyn says, thanks for the free education. What are your thoughts on VBR? And this is another Vanguard fund. This is the Vanguard Small Cap Value ETF, which I know, Luke, you know a lot about because you ran basically a competitor. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. I used to run Dimensional's U.S. small cap value ETF, their small cap ETF, and their targeted value ETF, which is more of a mid and small cap fund. Okay, and I, well, let's talk about that. Those implicit costs that you that you just uh, you just uh, enlightened the audience about. How does that compare to say the Dimensional? 
Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, various funds are going to have various distributions year over year. I know at Dimensional, our our goal was to limit the tax hit that customers take in ETFs because when customers invest in ETFs, they're looking for that tax efficiency. Um, going to this fund specifically, I see that, again, there's a distribution yield of 2%. That's a little high. But the thing that concerns me more about this is my question for you would be, what are you trying to invest in? Because if you're trying to invest in a small cap value fund, I'm taking a look at this fund and a lot of it, if not most of it is in mid caps. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's important to dig down and see what the holdings are because when you're looking at factor funds like this, it's all about the characteristics. What is the weighted average market cap? What is the weighted average price to book? Mm-hmm. And looking at that compared to its benchmark, it's larger. It's, this, is, this is really more oriented towards mid cap stocks. Yeah, we call that style drift, and especially comp- or funds that have a lot of heft to them, and they have a lot of assets, which Vanguard obviously does. This fund itself has $24 billion in assets. Uh, how does that compare to the dimensional small cap value? Uh, the dimensional small cap value mutual fund is about half that size, and the ETF is just over a billion now. But you know, I would point out that style drift is a problem given size of funds, but style drift is also a problem given your asset class. If you're investing in small cap value stocks and you're an ETF and you're worried about your capital gains, you're going to incur a lot of gains if you're selling these things. You mm-hmm. may hold on to them longer. It's gonna, it's gonna. There's gonna be a lot more style drift in funds like this. Yeah, that makes sense, and. Uh... But it's kind of, in some ways, it's a good thing. It means that that part of the market is performing well. Absolutely, yeah. No, it does. It does. Yeah. Now, Steve and I are thankful for your podcast support and our free downloads will always continue. But I want to make you aware of two other ways to find our material and unbiased guidance. One is Invest Talk YouTube channel, which I do a video usually every Friday going over the market, as well as our Instagram account as well so we're building more content on both platforms so head over there and subscribe remember that's best talk with two t's now the phone lines are open for you right now on the best talk we're heading into our final break so give me a call now at 888-99-CHART your objective is to work hard plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck, because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Hi, Stephen Justin. I'm calling because um, I woke up on Tuesday morning of this week, realizing to my horror that I owned a really substantial bond from Credit Suisse. <laughs> so I had a real shot of adrenaline, tried to go back to sleep, couldn't. Um, and then as soon as the market opened, I admit that I panicked and I sold the bond, took a 4% haircut, which was a real bummer. But I was worried that Credit Suisse was facing a real possibility of defaulting on its debt. So my question for you is, do you think I did the right thing or should I have waited? The bond was going to mature in May, so I would have had to wait until May. But what would have happened if Credit Suisse had defaulted on their debt? Would I, as a bondholder, have stood a good chance of getting my principal back? What do you think? I'll listen on the show. Thanks very much. What do you think, Luke? Do you think he would have uh, gotten all his principal back in May? <sighs> well, it's, it stands to be seen with this bank, right? I think one thing you got to worry about uh, with any situation like this where they've had over $120 billion in net outflows in the last year is sustainability of the business generally. Um, 
You know, there's a there's a situation where something like this could inevitably have people standing in line as creditors. Yeah, and uh, Swiss National Bank looks like they had uh, to prop it up. And you know, the question I think at some point with Credit Suisse, they've been ta- it's been a poorly run bank for a long time. And you know, will they eventually nationalize the bank at some point? I think that's probably what the the eventuality is. Uh, it's just a matter uh, of timing. I think you probably would have gotten all your money back, but hey, yeah. a four percent haircut—you're not—you shouldn't lose that much sleep over it. Yeah, right? four percent. If it helps you sleep at night, it's perfectly fine. Yeah, exactly. So, woulda, coulda, shoulda—you maybe should have hold on, held, held on better. Probably rebounded uh, today, but once again, it's not like you—you you lost ninety percent of it. Uh, lost four percent. You move on. You learn the lesson. Uh, don't chase the yield in these uh, these banks. You know. When we buy bonds for clients, we rarely buy uh, financial uh, uh, bonds linked to financial companies because uh, their prospects can be fairly fickle. Uh, so uh, lesson learned in that front. Now let's pivot over to the recent economic news. And with all the talk about the banks, what's been overlooked over the past couple of days are some uh, interesting readings uh, when it comes to the economy as a whole. Now, the report yesterday, spending or consumer spending fell 0.4% in February on a seasonally adjusted basis. So these are at stores, online, and in restaurants, it's according to the Commerce Department. And that's following a 3.2% increase in January. You also had the PPI number came out yesterday, and that fell 0.1% where analysts were expecting a slight increase. So on the inflation front, that certainly was a, a nice surprise or a downward surprise. The PPI rose 4.6% year over year, and that's down from a downwardly, downwardly revised 5.7% gain uh, in January. So overall, the past year retail sales have advanced 5.4%. Uh, so still up year over year, but that's roughly what inflation is. So uh, what you're seeing is on a real basis, inflation or, or consumer spending is roughly flat, right? Yeah, no, I, that's, I think all of these numbers are just lending credence to the argument that certainly, I, I don't want to give full credit to the Fed here, but... Uh, inflation has been easing, not as quickly as we would like, but it certainly is. Yeah, and and consumers are, are feeling it as well. Consumers spent less at restaurants and department stores. Spending also fell in interest rate sensitive sectors, not surprisingly with interest rates so high for things like vehicles and furniture. Now, if you strip out auto sales, overall retail purchases decreased 0.1% in February. So not a disaster, but certainly showing that the consumer isn't nearly that healthy. So when you combine these more real-time data points that are looking month over month versus kind of base effects going back all the way to early last year, what you're seeing is an economy that is as low inflation and low consumer spending. Not recessionary, not dire, but not at a point where the Fed needs to be ratcheting up interest rates even more. So you combine the, these data points and the last uh, la- many others from the past month, plus the banking crisis, I think it's pretty clear the Fed needs to stop. They need to slow down. Will they or won't they? What Who knows? Think? We're treading water, but we're not drowning yet. We're so not things are looking yet. good. Yeah. Is the Fed going to push our head uh, a little bit more? We'll see you next Wednesday. Now, I'm Justin Klein with Luke Guerrero, and this completes another Invest Talk program. Steve and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. And remember to follow Invest Talk on social media platforms and like and subscribe. 
and like and tag, excuse me, three friends on our 50, 50 million posts, and you may win a free annual subscription to our KPP premium newsletter. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening, and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.